Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Pruce. Good morning, Rick. Lee, how have you been doing? I've been doing great. My question to you is, how have you been doing? I've been doing real good. Good. Well, Rick, I got to tell you, I saw a picture of you that I can't stop smiling at because it's probably the cutest picture of you that I ever saw. It's you and your new granddaughter, and I couldn't tell who was smiling or happier (laughs) in that picture more because she had a big, no tooth, no, there's no teeth there, but it's a big smile on her face. And I looked at your face and you couldn't have been happier either. And I got to tell you, if that isn't what life is all about, then I don't know what life is all about. Leave it up to a young child to, you know, bring that innocence, that love, that, that, um, uh, there is just some energy that, uh, you can, you can get by just being in their presence, mm-hmm. you know, just, I can't tell you how much. And, you know, I get it connected by going and holding my granddaughter. I watch others as they bring their children into the store and you have to associate, you know, that's exactly how many people out there feel about their young child. And honestly, on the show here, that's how we feel about our pets oftentimes. You no know, question. there's nothing more treasured than those that we love. And there's something very innocent about a five month old child for whom you watch go from, you know, just coming out of the womb to somebody that's just putting a smile on your face. And you know that you're that one person, the grandparent, that's going to be there through thick and thin and giving it the attention that that child needs when the parents are you know, asking for your help. So Well, the fact that you could put a smile on her face that was that big and that <laughs> cute was absolutely amazing because I didn't think kids necessarily understand the world at that age. But yeah. Grandpa, she gets you and yeah. she digs you. So I, I, I let her um, – <laughs> my, my beard is uh, – <laughs> Uh, common property to her. She can she can pull it all she wants. Hopefully, as she gets a little older and a little stronger, we we work it out differently. But uh, for now, say, she's she, getting a little heavier. Yeah, she, she and so yeah, you don't want her swinging off of that thing. Well, it's, if she does, she does. That's the thing you do as a grandfather. You love it. Well, Even the pain is 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 a certain joy. So, well, so no, yeah, it's been really great and. I can't tell you enough about how great it feels to be a grandfather. I don't feel like a grandfather. I feel kind of like just this person that has this special energy in his life that he, you know, didn't have before. Right. And uh in in a strong sense when I when I when I raised my child, um I, I did it the best I did as a parent, but um you know, when you're a parent and you're raising your child, you have that, you have the responsibility of work and and uh, all the other things that go on at that age that you're worrying about. And when you're a grandparent, at least for me at this age, I'm able to at least stop whatever I'm doing and focus on that and kind of 
give it 100% of my attention that I might not have done when I was much younger. Right. Well, you made, though, a very important point just now because there are a lot of our listeners who feel exactly that way about their pets and their animals. And that's actually a direction that society has gone in because it's amazing to see the degree of (laughs) care and sentiment that people have toward animals today versus how they felt even 30, 40 years ago when you were starting the business. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just see such a difference. And one of the places where that's reflected is at Ingham County Animal Control uh, and Humane Societies because they have just gone from dog catchers to some of the most caring, wonderful people when it comes to helping people Mm -hmm. to care for their animals. And I just think that's such a great evolution of spirit that can only help people in the future. Yeah. And the fact that we, you know, it is a dichotomy. Uh, There there is that. And I think that's really... um, substantially important to know that we've done a lot of maturing in understanding how to deal with that as a public good. And yet they're there for a particular reason. They are there for public safety. They they are for protection and they're there for the protection of pets. And, you know, in, in a, it's a different society that has its complexity too. So officers are required and, and that in and of itself has, has its element. So I'd be, I'm, I'm anxious to get into a conversation with Heidi and talk about Ingham County Animal Control and look at the world from her perspective, overseeing such a, a, a fantastic organization. Well, she has done a great job, and the person in charge makes a big, big difference. And we'll talk about all of that with Heidi Williams, who is the director of the Ingham County Animal Control, and she'll be with us for the whole show right here on 1320. W-I-L-S. It's the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Rick, we have with us on the line a returning guest we haven't talked to in, boy, almost nine months. And that's surprising considering that it's Heidi Williams, who is the director of the Ingham County Animal Control. Welcome back to the show, Heidi. Hey, thanks for having me back. Oh, it's our pleasure. And I looked and saw that the last time we talked to you was when you had gone to New Orleans in order to help out with flood relief and, oh, and yeah. what have you. Yeah, uh, that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, well, it just made me realize, boy, we need to catch up with you because as I'm absolutely certain, having been to your Facebook page, things are hopping over at yeah. the Ingham County Animal Control. So. Why don't you share with the listeners what's been going on over there lately? Yeah, spring has definitely sprung. We're seeing, you know, like like most animal shelters are, we're seeing a, a large uptick in cats and kittens. It's kitten season. Um, and we're also seeing a lot of um, owner-surrendered dogs and a lot of behavioral issues, a lot of um, illness, um, things like that that people can't afford uh, to get treated on their own, so they're surrendering their dogs. So we've, we've had some challenges thrown at us, but um, as usual, and I've got the greatest staff ever, and everybody's just 
tackling it head on and we're getting the work done. So Well, it makes me wonder, uh, with all of that going on, how have you guys been doing from a capacity standpoint? Because for those who don't remember, you guys obviously moved uh, your facility into a much more improved, enhanced, and well-spaced uh situation. Is that continuing to work for you in spite of all of this that's going on? Yeah, definitely. It, it sure has. We thank our lucky stars every day for this building and for the more the more space that we have and the ability to separate out, you know, injured or sick animals so that we're not spreading disease and things like that. It's, it's the small things that make a big difference. And this building was a game changer for us. Um, yeah, we're we're, we're dealing with it. Um, unfortunately, we have to close to cat intakes um, fairly often just because we get really backed up. Um, and then with owner-surrendered dogs, we've had to go to a, a wait list um, because we've had so many strays um, that we literally just don't have room to take owner-surrendered dogs. So we create a wait list and we try to provide people with some other resources to use, some other rescues and, and shelters to reach out to to see if they have capacity. And then when we do actually have room, we, we start making phone calls and have people bring the dogs in, and we try to handle it that way. But also relying really heavily on our fosters. I think we have about 180, maybe 200 animals in foster right now, um, which uh, it just makes a huge difference. That's 200 animals that are not here, um, <laughs> that we're not having to take care of every day, and that are in a home, getting socialized. Um, and it just it's, I, I just don't know what we would do without our fosters. Uh, what kind of capacity does the new facility have compared to the old facility? Um, because there's nothing more important now at the this season, the, 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 the real intake season, than having capacity. Yeah, that is, is definitely true. And, and I, don't, I don't know what the capacity was for the old building. I could find that out. But I do know with this building, so the Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development set minimum standards for um, kennel sizes for animals. We we feel that those are those should be the minimums, and when we can, we try to double those. So we may have one large kennel um, that you could split into two kennels, but is it what's best for the animal? And the answer is no. So we tend to give the animals double the space that is minimally required. We find that that helps with their anxiety, with their frustration. Um, it helps move them along quicker, makes them you know more adaptable. Um, so as far as capacity. Um, you know, we're, we're doing okay. Um, our treatment capacity for cats, I think, is 20 kennels. Uh, our stray for cats, I think we're at 25 kennels. Um, and then dogs varies by the reason they're here. But, um, yeah, it's, we don't like minimum standards. Um, we like to do it better than the minimum standards. And we've been at the facility, and it's, you know, top-notch. Uh, imagine... All the surfaces are cleaner now. Uh, oh, yeah. The presentation is so much nicer. You've got uh, it makes it feel welcome to the public. It makes it feel more secure and safe for the people that want to, um, you know, bring in an animal. They don't feel like they need to do it in the middle of everyone else. So yep. uh, that has to make make things a bit better. But you're right that there's nothing that's going to be more valuable than the staff you have around. What kind of staff level do you have? That, that, that What does it take to run Bingham County Animal Control? So we are budgeted for a full-time staff of 27 employees, um, and that includes uh, six uh, adoption and intake clerks, a behaviorist, a veterinarian, a vet tech, uh, six officers, community outreach manager, uh, seven kennel techs, um, and then the administrative support of myself and the deputy director. 
So, you know, as far as a municipal shelter, we are really, really well-staffed. We are well-funded. We are well-supported. Um, I wish I wish more communities would support their municipal shelters like we're supported because it makes a tough job a lot easier when you have that backing. Um, but, yeah, we actually only have one vacancy right now, and that's uh, for an animal control officer. Other than that, we are fully staffed, which I'm, I'm really proud to say because, boy, it's tough to hire people right now. <laughs> It, it, do you expect it to be difficult to find an um, animal control officer? Uh, I, I've noticed that you're at least advertising for the position. We are advertising. Um, and we sat down um, about six, six, nine months ago, sat down with the unions and with human resources and took a look at their um, pay rate and realized that we probably were not paying them. Uh, what they should be paid. So um, fortunately, the county is very progressive with things like that, like pay and, and work hours. And, you know, they, they're very pro-employee, um, and that makes it good. <laughs> it yep. makes it easier for managers, too, to hire people. So we, we sat down, and we actually bumped their pay up a little bit. Um, you know, my personal opinion, I, I would love to see them paid a lot more. But unfortunately, you know, the market is what the market is. But mm-hmm. we have had difficulty finding people, um that truly understand what animal control officers do. It's not like the old, what was it, Animal Cops Detroit, or there was a show a long time ago. It's it's not that. It is to a certain extent, but um, we get a lot of people that say, well, I love animals. I want to come be an animal control officer. But there's a law enforcement aspect to it that people have to understand. Um, so in that aspect, we do have some difficulty finding people that really understand what they're getting into. Well, Heidi, for the dumb among us, myself uh, at the lead, uh, what does an animal control officer do? I mean, what what are the uh, skills and abilities and the job responsibilities on a day-to-day basis that someone would need to bring with them in order to accomplish? Yeah, so they need a basic understanding of criminal law and Michigan animal law. Um, we can teach, and we do uh, teach and train our staff um, everything they need to know about the job. But coming in, it really helps to understand and have a basic understanding of um, criminal law, uh, search and seizure, um, you know, constitutional amendments, things like this that that you would expect a law enforcement officer to know. Because we are law enforcement officers. We're just dog cops. Um, it's a little bit different. A day-to-day average for the officers, they work eight-hour shifts. Um, we work 7.30 in the morning to 9 o'clock at night. Um, there's two different shifts. And essentially, they work by themselves. Um, I need somebody that's a motivation, motivated self-starter that doesn't need a lot of supervision because they don't have a lot of supervision. They're out there. I expect them and, and, and trust that they do the right thing. They're responding to complaints. It could be loose dog. It could be unlicensed dog. It could be dog bites. Uh, it could be dog fighting. Um, it could be an injured animal or a deceased domestic animal. We will go and pick those up if, if there's like a hit by car or something like that. Um, it can be responding out to veterinary clinics on concerns of animal neglect or cruelty. Um, there's all sorts of different things. It's never a dull moment, um, which is what I really like about the job. It's uh, lots of different stuff. And there's there's some really good stuff, too, um, helping the community out. You know, somebody's in a pinch and they need, you know, some flea and tick treatment. They don't they don't know why their dog's so itchy. Our officers can, can provide that. Um, we can try to, you know, provide some educational support as well. It's not all about enforcement. Well, about what we can do to increase um, awareness of issues for animals and try to help people make the right decision for their animals. You mentioned earlier that it was important that they understood you know, it from a legal aspect. Would, would most of your applicants be you know, previous police officers or police officers in a different area and uh, just wanting to get into the 
animal control or, you know, to have that knowledge, it's not, not something I would have going in as an applicant, that's for sure. Yeah, so we actually don't see a lot of uh, police officers, current or former, apply for this work, again, because I think they just don't really understand what it is that we do. And animal control has really evolved over the last 25 years from being a dog catcher um, to being a law enforcement officer and investigating felonies and misdemeanors. Um, and, and people still think of us as the dog catcher, uh, <laughs> which sure. is, is constantly, we're, we're constantly battling that stereotype. Um, and that is a section of what we do, but it's a very small section. Um, we get a lot of people that are interested in starting out their career in law enforcement or criminal justice, and they come here because they understand that this is like a really great place to start. Um, so, you know, the ideal candidate, um, somebody that's motivated, um, somebody that wants to work with animals, that wants to learn, that wants to be part of a team. Um, and I can teach a lot of skills. We can we can train and teach a lot of skills, and we'll certify the right person. And in, in the uh, brochure that I have here, uh, it says uh, 2024... Uh, salary for top officers is 53316 Is that t- kind of an opportunity since it's 2024? You know, give them some aspirational idea as to what, what they might expect in the eventual of their, of their wage? Is that why you post yeah. it that way? So the reason we did that is because that's the current contract. So our animal control officers are part of the Capital City Labor Program Union, and they just recently ratified their contract. So that contract is good through 2024, and that is the top-out salary um, for a four-year experienced officer in 2024. So, But that is also just base salary. That doesn't include overtime. That doesn't include on-call pay. Um, gotcha. On an average, I think that adds about $8,000 onto that salary. So you're getting close to 60, a little over 60. Um, when all is said and done. So it's, it's not bad money. No, not at all. Uh, now, now when ahead. it comes to the person being there, how important are the human skills when you're looking for someone? Because some people I've met who are wonderful with animals aren't always necessarily great with human beings. And <laughs> yeah. I would imagine that that's got to be an issue for you, or am I am I wrong? You know, uh, right now, our officers um, do a phenomenal job with both. Um, and, and that's, I guess, probably one of the hard things is, yeah, the human element of this job is so very important. Um, it's great to be able to work with animals, but you have to be able to talk to people and explain things and teach them. And and, and that's the gift of gab. And um, fortunately, my officers right now do a, a phenomenal job with that. Um, somebody's got to be able to come in and talk to people. And I notice like sometimes with the younger generations, that seems to be something that they're not as comfortable with. They can learn it, but um, to, you know, stand up in front of a group of people or to meet somebody on the street on a, on a call and be able to just freely talk to them is difficult for some people. So yeah, it's really, really important. Well, well it just seems to me that the important part of the whole thing is that if I'm dealing with animal control, I wish I could say that it's always a wonderful, cheerful event. And, <laughs> but I but I imagine that virtually every interaction that you've got is probably somewhat confrontational on the the people end of it. And I just imagine that people are very emotional about their oh, yeah. animals, much more so than they are about most things. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, if somebody came and they were wanting to take my dogs, I would be a mess. 
So, yeah, we definitely take that into consideration. And, um, yeah, it, it can be a very emotionally charged um, and very dangerous for my officers. It really can be. Um, we're operating in the city of Lansing, which everybody knows has a, a violent crime problem. Um, and 80% of the calls that we're responding to are in the city. Um, it's very dangerous for the officers. And, and half of the the skill of getting out of a dangerous encounter is being able to talk to somebody. Um, and so my officers go through a lot of training and verbal de-escalation and, um, you know, just also, I think if you treat people with with respect, I think a lot of times you don't have a lot of problems. Not always, but if if you come at it from an angle of compassion and respect, most of the time people will will work with you. Yeah, that that seems to make total sense. And Heidi, the one thing I will say that I was impressed by is that in the ad for the employee, it said that they'd be working for a very easy to get along with director. And <laughs> I thought that that was great. So, no, uh, uh, I appreciate that. I, I, I seriously, I have the best team going. I would, I would tip my team against anybody else. They do a phenomenal job, and my officers are the utmost professionals and they're good investigators and they care. And, um, yeah, I work for them. That's how it works. (laughs) Well, I think it's always a compliment when your employees, uh, feel that way about you. It makes it a lot easier to lead. And so kudos to you. Uh, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'd like to talk to you about emptying the shelters. You do have a program going right now. Uh, with discounted uh, prices for adopting, and uh, we'll get into that right here on 1320 WILS. Welcome back to the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. Here are your hosts, Rick Bruce and Lee Cohen. It's 9.35, and we're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we're talking this morning with Heidi Williams, who is the director of Ingham County Animal Control. And, Heidi, in the last segment, you mentioned that obviously things have been hopping and have been busy, and you've had a lot of animals that have been coming through there. Uh, what What's causing all of this to go on, in your opinion? Uh, why has this been such an unusual year? Well, um, year to date, we've seen about a, a triple increase in the number of owner-surrendered animals from last year at this time, which, you know, looking at last year was certainly not a normal year in any aspect. So we, we're trying to take that with a grain of salt, but we're still concerned with the number of people that are surrendering their animals. And a lot of the animals we're seeing, particularly dogs, have a lot of behavior issues. There's a lot of aggression. Um, so, you know, behavioral euthanasia has has uh, been an increase here, unfortunately, because some of these dogs are just not safe to put back out into the community. We're seeing a lot of people um, or a lot of dogs that are running at large. We pick them up as strays. No one ever comes to claim them. Um, a lot of them have a lot of behavioral issues. So we don't know if it's the COVID effect, um, you know, where everybody was kind of hunkered down in their houses, weren't socializing a lot, which means your dogs aren't getting socialized. What well, we've also seen an uptick in bite cases, Um and some pretty pretty gnarly bites. Um, so I'm a little concerned about that. We're keeping an eye on it. Um, I guess the thing I can say to the community is, you know, get on top of it. If you notice your dog is starting to have some issues, please reach out to a trainer. Call us. We can point you in directions. Um, you know, it, don't let it go to the point where your dog bites someone and it's it's too late at that point. Um, 
So we, we have some resources that we're happy to um, help the community with. We actually have a behaviorist on staff here. Um, Roxanne is a, a phenomenal um, trainer and behaviorist. Uh, she does all of our temperament testing, behavior assessments for the animals before they're adopted. Um, she can also help people when they're having problems with an animal. If they want to stop in and talk to her, make an appointment. Um, and then we also do provide post-adoption support uh, with a trainer. Um, Dave Brooks from Calm Your Paws Dog Service. Uh, he's been a longtime volunteer here at the shelter. He's very familiar with shelter dogs and the unique stresses that they have transitioning in into homes. And Dave can come out if, when you adopt a dog from us. You get a free uh, training session with Dave. So if you're having some issues, Dave can come right to your house and he can help you address these issues. So we're, we're trying to do things to help support the community and keep these dogs in their home and keep people safe. Yeah, I imagine uh, it, it makes sense that you would have such a calling. I mean, you have officers going to people's homes, and you have to deal with the situation where dog bites are involved. And then part of the solution to this might be where you need to, you know, whether it's a surrender or a circumstance that requires it, <clears throat> they need to bring the dog back to you. And then you've got to decide, you know, if, if this is a bite situation, is, there, is that predestined or, or is there some... Um, is there some level of uh, uh, decisions to be made there as to whether that gets euthanized from being a biter, or is there a is there some play in between based on what the circumstances are? It really is a case by case basis, and it and it we rely very heavily on the circumstances of the bite. Um, not all bites are from aggression. My dog has bit me when I was trimming his toenails because. He doesn't like that. Um, and, I mean, he didn't bite me hard, but he was like, Mom, don't do that. So, um, you know, now am I going to euthanize him for that? No, I'm not. I'm just going to, you know, drug him up before I trim his nails. Um, you know, we, we find other ways to do it. So not all bites are equal. And just because a dog bites doesn't mean it's a death sentence for that dog. We take a lot of things into consideration. We take their behavior here at the shelter. We take, We talk to the person. We try to get as much information as we can. Also knowing that that's not always reliable. Um, people are not always uh, real forthcoming with information about what was happening when the bite happened. Um, so we, we do our best. But ultimately, we're a public safety agency, and I can't, I can't put a known dangerous dog back out into the community and put the community at risk. I wouldn't be doing my job. Right. And so your animal behaviorist, as best as she can, is one that's going to screen through that. And yes. I imagine there are particular test procedures training that yep. that allows her to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So she'll put each dog through a behavioral assessment. Um, we'll have the dogs. I just participated yesterday in play groups. We have the dogs meet other dogs to see how their dog-dog behavior is. Um, because if you have a dog-aggressive dog out in the community um, and they go after another dog, you're going to get bit trying to break it up. Now, did that dog direct on you? Was that dog human-aggressive? No. But being a dog aggressive dog is still dangerous. It's still sure. dangerous for the community. Um, so you've got a 10 year old kid on the end of the other end of that leash, they get dragged into a dog fight. So these are all things we take into consideration. Um, and, you know, euthanasia is one of those really, it's a touchy subject and it's a, an emotionally charged topic. And I certainly understand why, but I'm not afraid to talk about it either because I think, um, I think we need to talk about it as a community. Um, some dogs need to be euthanized. That's just the, the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just uh, curious if, uh, is there, w when it comes to euthanasia, um, that's got to be a difficult situation for your staff. Does that, yeah. does that come along with, um, I guess, the, even the opportunity for counseling and such? 
Um, yeah. It, it, I, I just asked that because uh, not associated at all with Ingham County Animal Control, but, you know, I, was, uh, I have a, a staff member that at one time in his young youth, when he was like 18, 19, 20, that was, uh, that was one of his responsibilities, and it, it carries with him today you oh, know, the, the, the difficulty associated with doing that. So my tip my hat off to the individuals there that, that, that take that social responsibility and, and have to carry that out. But I'm just curious, as an institution, how do you deal with the emotions surrounding that? Yeah, so um, there's a number of people here that are um, authorized to perform euthanasia, myself and the deputy director included, because we recognize the fact that sometimes staff is just going to be overwhelmed and we need to step in and and do it. Um, Our vet, our vet assistant, our behaviorists, they're all euthanasia certified as well. Um, Our staff that that performs the euthanasias regularly is our animal care staff, and we have them rotate on a day-by-day basis. There's seven of them, so once a week they're on euthanasia. So we try not to overwhelm them um, with those those procedures. And if it's an animal that they've become really attached to, we recognize that and we'll step in and we'll have somebody else um, do the, the euthanasia. Um, we also do provide um, compassion fatigue training for our staff because we recognize that, yeah, that's not why anybody gets into this work is to euthanize animals. We get into the work because mm-hmm. we want to help animals. Um, and this is, it's tough. It, it weighs really heavily on you. So um, we have been working with a social worker um, to create this compassion fatigue program. Uh, Michigan State University is also providing support to us um, from a social worker. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking at that on how, how the operations and these decisions really affect staff because they really do. Yeah, yeah. It's nothing that, uh, you know, we'd, we'd all like to just say, you know, the fun top conversation we'd like to have, um, let's just uh, avoid that particular topic. But that's a big topic, and especially for you because you're assigned the responsibility of it. You can't shirk on that responsibility. Yeah. Um, well, on a more, I guess, on an alternative note, um, so a dog um, has its own little signature personality traits. How how do you go about, you know, let's say a dog likes children, a dog doesn't like children, um, a dog is a bit hyperactive around other dogs. How does that get incorporated into finding the appropriate home? I imagine the fostering that you have probably brings a lot of information in. How do you yeah, incorporate definitely. that into the policy or the, or the, the approach of, of placing the perfect pet home? Yeah, so if you look on our, our website, all the, the animals have a bio that goes along with them. And I really encourage people to read the biography of each animal because our staff and our volunteers and our behaviorists, they all uh, – add to those bios. So they, they, they have a lot of information about the animals. So you'll frequently see like, you know, kids over 10 only. The reason for that is because maybe the dog doesn't have a lot of manners. Maybe it, it has a really rough play style. It's not mean, it's not aggressive, but it's going to knock over a little kid and we don't want a little kid to get hurt. So we'll, we'll make a recommendation or, you know, this dog needs to be an only dog or this dog is, doesn't like female dogs. And you'll, you'll see those things. It doesn't mean those animals are not adoptable. It just means we've recognized that they have these preferences. And, you know, we, we try to set the dog up to succeed, not fail. So we give people as much information as possible. But ultimately, once the person adopts, it's up to them to follow, you know, kind of our recommendations on this. Now, um, we have had dogs that, yeah, we are not going to adopt to a house with cats because we recognize that they're going to chase and probably try to hurt the cats. So we will not adopt them out to a home that has cats, things like that. So it's really kind of a situational um, with the adopter and, and with the animal. 
Now, Heidi, one of the things that I noticed on your website when I was looking is that you guys have got programs to help people to be able to adopt some of the animals that you have there and that during the month of May, there's discounted adoption fees because of a grant that you got from Bissell's Pet Foundation. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so we are right in the middle of uh, the Bissell Empty the Shelter event. Um, Bissell does this about quarterly, um, and what they do is they provide the opportunity for us to um, adopt animals out for very inexpensive. Dogs are $25, cats are $10, um, and then Bissell will reimburse us um, for the difference in our regular adoption fees. Um, so it's great. So we're not losing a lot of money, but the community has an opportunity to add to their family um, for a lot less money than normal. And it, there's a lot of um, advertisement that goes along with Bissell. Um, the Bissell Foundation is incredibly supportive of, of animal shelters and animal welfare, and uh, this is just one of the great programs that they, they have for animal shelters. Well, and anyone who's got a puppy at home knows Bissell because when the puppy has an accident, Bissell has the products yep. that you're probably going to use. Uh-huh. So we're speaking with Heidi Williams from Ingham County Animal Control. And Heidi, we need to take one more break. But when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about some of the needs that you have at Ingham County, as well as some of the fundraisers that are going on right here on 1320. W-I-L-S. It's the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show with Britt Proust and Lee Cohen on 1320 W-I-L-S. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we've been talking this morning with Heidi Williams, who is the director of the Ingham County Animal Control. And Heidi, before the break, I kind of hinted that uh, there's lots of animals being fostered. There's lots of animal intake that's taking place, and I've got to imagine that creates a lot of needs when it comes to the things that you need to use and to have to take care of these animals. So for the public, what kind of things are you looking for in terms of donations or uh, things to help you in caring for these animals? Yeah, definitely. And, and that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought it up because there's always a need here for things even like squeeze cheese, the canned cheese that you put on crackers. It's really gross. turns out cats and dogs love that stuff. Um, <laughs> peanut butter, um, you know, soft training treats, um, old towels and blankets. If you have those laying around, don't throw them away. Bring them to us. We'll use them. Um, each of the, the animals gets a nice snuggly blanket um, every day, and we use towels like crazy. I think we go through, I don't know, hundreds of loads of laundry every day. So stuff like that. We do have a list of items on our website, too, that if people want to donate. Um, the other one is martingale collars. We Every dog that comes um, out of here, goes into a new home, comes with a brand-new collar, a martingale collar. Um, that's what our trainers uh, prefer to use, so every dog gets one. So things like that. And, and you'll see us on our Facebook page. We'll put out a plea for, oh, we're running really low on collars. Can anybody help? And holy cow, you guys, we get just overwhelmed with donations. It's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you so much to the community for your support because, boy, does that help um, not only animals, but it helps ease the stress and frustration on the staff when we don't have something like that to use. Um, you know, and then we get a nice big package dropped off, and it's it's pretty phenomenal. I, I was mentioning from uh, before what, uh, when I go through and see the tour, the towel 
capacity. <laughs> the, the tower of towels is is amazing, and uh, yeah. it just remind you you don't think that you would ever need to use that many towels. Oh, and it's, it's crazy! It, oh, I do. I yeah. have a I have yeah. a wife who every time the dog goes out, here comes two more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine when they were designing the building, they're like, okay, so for square footage, the architect architect had to kind of compensate. X number of square foot just for the towel storage. Yeah, yeah, it's not not too far off. Yeah, we we go through just a ton of laundry and stuff. But yeah, I mean, and even you know monetary donations, um, we we gladly accept monetary donations. And, and an example of what we used for that is we had a dog surrendered to us on Monday, um, and has horrible allergies. I mean, this poor guy, his feet are just inflamed. So we've got him on Apoquil, and we are doing allergy testing. So we'll pay for the allergy testing. Um, we just did the uh, send it out yesterday to the lab and um, fortunately um, a local pet store um, donated some kangaroo food because we have to do very simple proteins for the poor guy and yeah. um, they, they happen to have it in, in stock and they donated it and it's awesome. Um, so, you know, things like that, but um, things pop up that we don't expect. Um, you know, ACL repair surgery on dogs, we'll pay for it. The dog's adoptable and they're happy-go-lucky and everything's good, we'll pay for it. So that um, those money donations go for things like that. And again, the visit. When I went there, um, if you were to go into, you know, any of your veterinary office and they let you go past the door and you walk in the veterinary care area, you'd have a certain expectation of what you would see. And when I toured your facility, we walked by, turned to my right and looked, and it was a literally as if it was a veterinary clinic there, all the high-end equipment and, and such. And it takes, I would imagine, a substantial amount of money in order to operate something like that effectively. Can you talk about what you do have there as far as, far as that kind of a facility? Yeah, absolutely. So that's um, our veterinary clinic is, to me, our pride and joy. Um, we actually have digital imaging x-ray. Um, the vet can snap uh, images and pull them up on a um, TV screen in the surgical area. Um, we have um, a cold laser that we, after every surgery, we do cold laser therapy on the incision sites of the animals. It helps um, increase the blood flow and speeds up healing. We have very few post-surgical complications since we started using that. Um, we can also use it on an animal that has a a soft tissue injury, and we'll we'll put the animal through you know weeks of laser therapy if we need to. Um, we uh, will send out blood work, like I mentioned, the uh, allergy testing. Um, we got this poor guy's blood work back. Turns out his thyroid is low too, so you know we'll we'll do all sorts of diagnostic testing. So we're really fortunate. Um, most municipal animal shelters don't have this kind of stuff here. Um, we can also do dental work here. We have some dental equipment and we're actually trying to purchase some updated dental equipment so that we can do more dental surgeries because we're finding a lot of animals get surrendered because people can't afford to have teeth extracted because it's so expensive. So if we can save the animal's life, make them happy, more comfortable and get them into a new home, then we're going to do it. I, I, I'm thinking out of ashes, great things happen. Um, I'm just thinking about back in the eighties and nineties and, um, what the state of affair here was in Lansing and the idea of what animal control was from a conceptual concept. If at that time, while we were going through everything from, you know, picketing going on to, you know, public outcry to, you know, embarrassing situations for which animal control found themselves in and uh, a, a basically a lost sense of direction and, and said, okay, guys, sit down, here's what's going to happen in the next 30 years. 
in 40 years. Or, yeah, what is it? Yeah, it's about 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is what you're going to see. And nobody in their right mind would have any kind of even close to ability to con- comprehend that. Yeah. Just what you said, what goes on, dental care. That yeah. was probably the last <laughs> thing that they were thinking about yeah. then, dental care. Yeah. They were thinking yeah. it'd be nice if the people could have dental care, yeah. let alone. Or can yeah. we can we get the dog spayed and neutered at least before we adopt them out? Now that's yeah. standard practice. Yeah. Nothing leaves here without being altered. But yeah, I yeah. mean, think about what how how it's evolved and, and what gets me excited is how's it going to evolve over the next 20 years? For Where sure. are we going from here? Yeah. You know, we're, we haven't hit the top. Well, if that's the case, then Heidi, you're going to need some more money. So tell me about what fundraisers you've got going on right now that people can participate in or contribute toward. Yeah, so the Ingham County Animal Shelter Fund, which is the 501c3 that um, helps us raise money. They're doing uh, virtual walks. So we did the cat nap. That was in April. The woofer walk is in May. And then they're doing a chicken run in June. So um, <laughs> it's kind of a kind of a fun kind of a fun thing. Um, they're all virtual. You can do them at your own pace. And you can uh, visit the Ingham County Animal Shelter Fund website and do that. Um, we've got an event coming up the end of May called the Kitten Palooza. We're um, partnering with Against All Odds Cat Rescue. And we're going to do kind of a just a fun day at the fairgrounds. Come on out, meet some rescues, adopt an animal. Uh, microchipping will be there. The um, Ingham County, um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm totally drawing a blank. Um, it'll come to me. We're going to be there doing microchipping. Um, we'll be there with information. Um, there'll be some vendors there. I think some people are going to do like some garage sales to raise money for local rescues, things like that. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and then, yeah, we've got our vaccination clinics. Um, it's not really a fundraising thing, but it's a, a good community support. Um, and that's that's what we got going on. Well, the other question I've got for you, Heidi, in previous years because of COVID, I know that licensing was not always happening on a timely basis. Have you seen an improvement with that now that people are uh, getting together with other people and uh, returning back to more of a normal lifestyle? We're, we're seeing a slow increase in licensing. We, um, at my direction to the officers, I told them to kind of go easy on people um, during COVID. I realized people were suffering. They weren't able to get in um, to their veterinarians for even simple vaccinations, um, things like that. So, you know, we took a more lenient approach to our licensing enforcement. But now that things are getting somewhat back to normal or a new normal, um, there's really no excuse for people not to have their, their dog license. So we are taking a, a firmer approach on our license enforcement. Um, and it's not about the revenue. I want to stress that with people, and some people will roll their eyes and say, yeah, sure. But it's really about ensuring that the animal has rabies vaccination. Um, rabies is a public health issue. And, again, we're a public safety uh, com- public safety agency, and we have to make sure that, that the community is safe. And part of that is making sure that dogs have their license and they have their rabies vaccination. So um, you can come in and, and purchase your rabies slice or your, uh, your dog license at the shelter or at the treasurer's office. Um, we do have clinics coming up for rabies vaccinations. They're $15. It's pretty inexpensive. Um, the other thing I'd like to mention, too, is if you want to get your pet microchipped, stop on in. Anytime the shelter is open, it's 15 bucks in and out the door. Well, Heidi, I'm afraid we're out of time, but we want to thank you for giving us so much of yours. It's been a great conversation, and we look forward to speaking to you again. 
Thank you. Oh, our pleasure. We've been speaking with Heidi Williams, Director of Ingham County Animal Control. And Rick, a lot goes on in less than a year, so we better keep in touch and find out what's going on. So on behalf of our producer, Bruce Warner and Rick Proust, my co-host in the studio, this is Lee Cohen wishing all of you a great weekend, a great week ahead, and wish your mom a happy Mother's Day. Have a great weekend. Thank you.